Hello, listeners. This is your boy, Bryce. What's up, y'all? This is your boy, Isaac. And we are Brothers on Tennis. And we are here back again to talk about what's going on in the world of professional tennis. Obviously, last week was a huge week. And that was the finals of the second Grand Slam of the year, which is the French Open. And Isaac, what did you think about the French Open this year? I tell you, Bryce, the French Open, it was it was very unpredictable. As we talked about in the last podcast, there were a lot of ups and downs on the women's side of the draw. The men seemed to go according to uh, according to the plan, if you will. And it was it was just a lot of what I consider to be great, intense matches. And it was phenomenal. I thought the French Open absolutely delivered as far as entertainment, as far as just competition and just overall excitement and engagement. So I am I'm happy. And, uh, you know, it was it was good. It was very, very, very good. How about you, Bryce? You know, and I know I said this on a previous episode, but. The French Open is the one Grand Slam that if there's one that I kind of am like, uh, I don't know, uh, it's the French. But it was not like that for me this year. Uh, I, You know, there's enjoyment in seeing the big boys come through and the fact that we had the top four seeds make it to the semifinals. Um, I loved seeing that. But the flip side was just as enjoyable with the women where – I don't think anybody predicted that the finals would be Barty and Vajrasova. And if somebody <laughs> did, they need to be on this podcast with us. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. With quietly, they need to be betting. They need to be making some money. <laughs> exactly. Because <laughs> I'm sorry. There is, I, there is not a soul that could have predicted that Vajrasova and Ash Barty would be up in the French Open final. I mean, come on now. <laughs> and, I, and you know what? And I think we even said it ourselves. We were, we were like, we like Ash Barty, but we just don't know that this is her surface. I mean, who knew that she could play on clay like this? Exactly. I mean, it's just ridiculous to, 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 to see how well she was able to adapt her game and really take it to some of the other, some of the other ladies out there. I mean, it was, it was a great effort on her part, man, for sure. And it was a great coming out party for Vajrasova, too, because a lot of people really didn't know about her. And now she's on the tip of some people's tongues in terms of, wow, this is a, a real up and coming for us. That's right. And let's not forget about our girl, Anna Samova. She did a thing and she almost got past Barty in that semifinal match. We almost had a, t- a teenage French Open final. So that in itself is uh, very commendable. That would have been crazy. But I tell you what we weren't surprised by, and that is... <laughs> See, you don't even know where I'm going. Or maybe you do know <laughs> I do know where you're going. Don't even clap. <laughs> Look, we knew Madison Keys wasn't ready for the party party. I mean, we knew that. And so I'm not even trying to hype that situation up at all. Um, but you know, good on Madison Keith. I didn't think she was going to make it that far, but the fact that she made it to the quarterfinals, good on her. Uh, I don't want people to think, oh, Bryce just cannot stand Madison Keith. That is not the case at all. I wish her well. It's just that I really hate to see when people have so many pieces of the puzzle and they still fall short. 
Uh, and that's just kind of the way that I see Madison Keys. But it, it doesn't matter if she had all the pieces. She wasn't going to be <laughs> beating Ash Barty at this tournament. And um, hey. and just one more thing I'm going to say on this. Yeah. Although we did not expect Ash Barty to make it to the finals or even to win it, most people love this woman. And, you yeah, know, absolutely. I personally was really, really happy for her. And I'm and, and really looking forward to see how she's going to be able to build upon this result. That's right. That's right. I mean, talking about Ash Barty, remember, she was someone that really got burnt out on tennis and was like, I need a break. Otherwise, I just, I, you know, I, I just, I've got to get away from this sport. So she left and she went out to, and played another professional sport for, for a time and decided, hey, I do actually love tennis and actually came back to the game. So how incredible is that for a story to actually leave the game of tennis, come back. And now what? You are a Grand Slam champion. That and, you go Ash Barty. Right. And on top of that, not only are you a Grand Slam champion, you are now the number two ranked woman in the world. So, so good. That means so you've good. done a little bit more than just win the French Open all year, right? <laughs> exactly. That's right. I mean, you have done some things. And honestly, she's been putting her game together very slowly. She's been sneaking up on folks. And she's gotten into really good, as far as her fitness goes, she has great fitness. And, um, and she, her game is just coming around. So, man, talk about I'm just happy for her. But I will say this, and I must mention this, jumping back <laughs> to Madison Keys. You know who wasn't in her box, like I said, was Miss <laughs> Lindsay Davenport. Lindsay, I told you. I said, have your ass up in her box. And what'd you do? You were sitting there commentating on the match. That is not the same. You need to have yourself planted in a seat. So you know why she lost. So this is on you, Lindsay. I'm putting it on you. And for our previous, for our listeners, I need to make sure that folk understand the significance of Lindsay Davenport to, to, to Madison Keys. Lindsay actually used to coach Madison, and they've since, uh, I won't say split ways, because uh, you, you still see Lindsay working a lot with Madison, but she's no longer her coach. But to me, that's where, in my opinion, Madison produced her best results was when Lindsay was her coach. So to me, it is a fundamental element for her to have Lindsay somewhere in her camp in order for her to produce. So that's just Isaac's opinion. But I do feel like there's a little bit of uh, validity there. So anyway, back to you, Bryce. <laughs> I, I, no, and, and I wouldn't doubt that. And I think Lindsay Davenport was excellent for Madison Keys. But I just always got the impression that it was Matt, excuse me, not Madison, it was Lindsay that walked away. And do you know any more data on that? Was it Lindsay who walked away? I believe so, because I think it was the whole, you know, just again, because she's a, she's a mom. She has she has babies. I mean, not babies, but she has kids that she has to, to, to you know, to, to, to mother. And she's got responsibilities at the, you know, at the tennis channel. So I feel like all of her other responsibilities kind of held her back from being able to travel with her full time. And, and she saw that that's what Madison needed. So I think that she was the one that sort of walked away because of her other commitments. But again, she stays true to Madison, which I commend. And I really think Madison is the better for. Right. And as we talk about the finals of the French for the women, you know, I just think the occasion may have been a little too big for Vondrasova. And I, you know, Ash Barty, although it was her first Grand Slam final, uh, she's a little bit more experienced um, and on the tour. And I'm going to tell you the thing that really surprised me. 
We know that Ash has a great serve. We know that Ash, especially because of how prolific of a doubles player she is, that she's great at the net and getting to the net. But I don't know. I just did not know her ground strokes were that solid. I mean, Ash beats you a lot from the net, but she can clearly take care of you from the baseline as well. Oh, yeah, because she's got that strong forehand. She puts enough uh, spin on it to have enough clearance and, uh, and you know, enough margin for error, if you will. And, again, she's able to utilize that slice backhand as well as her two-hander. I was actually surprised that her two-hander held up so well during this tournament. Because typically when you see players that are, that are two-handed backhands, but they also slice a lot, that typically their backhand is not that good. I'm thinking about kind of Stevie Johnson <laughs> for some reason. Sorry, Steve. Uh... But, um... I mean, but seriously, though, I mean, most people who do a lot of slicing don't have a great backhand. And to me, she proved that on all fronts, she was just on point. I mean, she was able to hit through her her two-handed backhand. She was effectively using her slice. And like I said, her forehand was on point. So, like I said, Ash Barty was bringing the party for the French <laughs> Open, let me tell you. Hmm. Don't even well, trip. Well, we are very happy for Ash Barty, and we can't wait to see how this plays out for her in future tournaments. That's right. Absolutely. Yeah, so Bryce, what about those men? What about them? Well, you know, I want to take just a moment to pat myself on the back a little bit. <laughs> if you listeners will remember, in the preview episode that we recorded, before one ball was hit in the tournament, here we go. I predicted that the men's final would be Dominic Team and Rafael Nadal. Now, I'm going to bring that down a little bit. Now, all I did was say, okay, we're at the biggest clay court tournament of the year. And Team and Nadal are the two best clay court players on the planet. And so I took the easy way out and picked those two. But let's, but let's be clear. They showed why they are the top two male play quarters on this planet. Do you agree? <laughs> I absolutely agree. Absolutely agree. I, it's, it's, so here's what I will say. <laughs> uh, unfortunately, neither of my picks made the final. <laughs> and quietly, I know that Rafael Nadal is like, um, Isaac, <laughs> <laughs> How dare you? <laughs> How dare you think that Roger Federer go get me on my favorite surface at my favorite tournament? You son of a bitch, you. You sorry. <laughs> don't you never, don't you never step out there and make no <laughs> prediction like that. What the hell is wrong with you? I done jolly walked that fool a few times up in here. And you don't actually think he gonna come in my house. Gonna come in my house and take me out? I, what? <laughs> So that's what Rafael Nadal was saying to me. And uh, I, I was, you know, I shed a little bit of a tear as he was saying it to me. Um. <laughs> <laughs> but do you know what? He was talking to both of us because, and there may be some listeners that are thinking the same thing too right now. They're going to say, how are these two guys? Neither one of them predicted the person who's won this tournament 11 times isn't going to mm -hmm. win it this year. Because although <laughs> I said Nadal was going to be in the finals, I picked team to win. I really thought this was right. going to be the year that that team kind of took that next step and maybe Nadal took a step back. But Nadal said, no, 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 no. 
my time is not over yet. Get thee behind me. I am the one until further notice to represent at this tournament. Right? Listen, and was like, Dominique, listen, I think you look hungry, so you need to take some bread going out the dough. <laughs> <laughs> and what I mean by bread, folks, is breadsticks. Because, yes, he did get served up. <laughs> so, and, and let's take a little a moment there to, to let our, our listeners know. In case you're, you're not familiar with our analogy with the bread, whenever someone wins a set six love, the opponent didn't win a single game. We call that giving that person a bagel because the zero is like a round circular bagel. But we also feel like even if they won one game, you still don't deserve a whole lot of respect for that. So we call that another thing that you would get at a bakery called a breadstick. So if you win only one game, that is a breadstick. And if you remember the score in the men's final, the last two sets, the third and fourth sets, were Nadal, 6-1, 6-1, and that's two breadsticks. Enjoy the bread, my friend, team. That's right. He said, he said Dominique, you look hungry, so I'm going to help you out. <laughs> that is so true. But, but congratulations, props, just all due respect to Rafael Nadal. I mean, he has done something that truly nobody in the history of the game has ever done before. Winning a major tournament 12 times. As a matter of fact, I don't think any tournament has ever been won 12 times by a single person, let alone one of the four majors. It's, it's, just, it's just beyond comprehension, to be honest with you, Bryce. I mean, what he does on that surface is just phenomenal. It's incredible. His patterns, everything that he does on clay is just, it's just magic. I mean, sometimes I'm wondering, like, as a kid, if his parents didn't, like, you know, you know how they put baby power in a person's diaper? I think they put clay up in that motherfucker. Because I'm telling <laughs> you what, he has, been, I mean, he, he just knows what to do on that surface. And honestly, he doesn't have to be 100%, doesn't have to be 90%. I honestly feel like a 70, 80% Nadal, when you're talking about the best uh, three out of five, will take out just about everybody. And it's it's just ridiculous at the success that he has had at Roland Garros. It's it's it, like I said, bow down to you, Rafa. You are you are the man, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, I, sir. I tell you what made me laugh, and that is, uh, I think it was John McEnroe who was interviewing him after the, the finals, and he was asking him something about you know why is he so good on clay, and he said, well, you know, I've seen you grew up playing on it, and the doll was like. I actually grew up on hard courts. <laughs> <laughs> so strike that out <laughs> as right? the reason why he's so good on clay. <laughs> My God, it is so insane. <laughs> oh, yeah. yes, sir. But, but Dominic team, I mean, he had a great tournament. You know, he let's not forget. He took out Novak Djokovic in the semifinals, who was the number one player in the world the person who had won the last three majors in a row. Um, mm -hmm. And so he really, although he didn't get the title at the end, he had another really good tournament. So props to I, him I, for making it to the finals two years in a row. Yeah, and, and making it to the final and taking a set off of Rafa, because uh, Fedra yes. didn't do that. <laughs> now, now, wait a minute. I'm sorry, Fed. I'm so sorry. Now, let's not man. get off I'm sorry. Federer. I mean, one of the things... 
<laughs> you know, and, and I think I think Raphael would have won the match anyway, no matter what the conditions were that day. But those conditions definitely did not help Roger's style of play. Uh, if he no. was going to have any chance against Nadal in the semifinals, he needed it to be a hot, dry, fast kind of day. And he got the total opposite of that. Absolutely. Yeah, I just it was unfortunate for Roger, just timing-wise and weather-wise. It just didn't work out. I mean, it, and he was trying. I mean, he put forth a gallant effort. And so I thought it was a great match. Again, it was it was because all of the wind and, and it was really, really tough, tough conditions. So he did not play a bad match. Again, it, just, it was just unfortunate that he didn't get the conditions that may have allowed him to pull an upset. But, um, hey, good on you, Roger, for still for playing it, uh, for, 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 you know, getting to the semifinals. Because, again, there were a lot of people that were doubters, even that you would, you would get far. So I, I just commend you for, for, for making it as far as you did and really playing a very good match in the conditions. Yeah, that's, I mean, as a Federer fan, that's what I walked away with. Did I truly, in my heart, believe that Federer was, Federer was going to win the French Open? Absolutely not. Um, did I want him to win? Absolutely yes. But the fact that he made his seeding, he was seeded third, which meant he needed to make it to the semifinals to match his seeding, so he did that. He hadn't right. played the tournament in the last three years. And so for him just making it to the semifinals and then losing to the eventual champion – I thought was a great result for him. And let me tell you something else that some people may not be uh, paying attention to. The points that he gained for making it to the semifinals of the major, plus the points he picked up at the Italian, plus the points he picked up, uh, I think, at the tournament in in Madrid, that's going to bode very well for him in terms of where he ends up being ranked at the end of the year because he had no points that he was defending across those tournaments from the previous year. Right, yes, and that will go far. I mean, not only will that go far for his year-end ranking, but it also plays well for next year. Because again, we have to remember that next year is Olympics year too. So you want to have your ranking up as high as possible. So it's going to lend itself very well to him even throughout the 2020 season. So I, I, I just, I think it was a very good move for him. That is great. All right. So, Bryce, we've talked about the French Open. Any other closing points you want to make on the French Open? Well, I I do want to just mention that um, if the listeners will remember from a previous episode, we had mentioned about a couple of couples that are on the professional tour. And one of those couples is Dominic Thiem and Christina Milanovic. And although Dominic Thiem ended up just getting the runner-up trophy in singles. His girlfriend actually won, was part of the winning team for the women's doubles title. So that was a really good tournament for both of them. I I absolutely agree. So, yeah, it's always – it's always nice to see, you know, when couples are playing that they're they're both winning because you always wonder, well, hmm, is one a drag on the other? So it's nice to see that Kiki was doing her thing in the women's doubles and uh, and got that W. I mean, that's great for her to have another Grand Slam doubles title under her belt. So kudos to you, Kiki. All right. Excellent. All right, folks. So 
we 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 will start our transition from the uh, from the from the dirt of Roland Garros to the pretty pretty green grass um, uh, of of uh, of uh, some of the tournaments coming up this this uh, this coming summer. So, mind you, um, this week there really aren't any premier events going on. But it seems as though a lot of the players are, 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 are very excited uh, that they are back on grass. So we've got what I would consider to be sort of the B squad of the, of the men's group uh, out there playing the tournament. So there's a tournament in Germany as well as in the Netherlands. Um, and they've got some good, good folks out there. So the Mercedes Cup, which is in Germany. Uh, they've got Zverev, who is, uh, you know, one of the top ranked players. They got Medvedev, who was very, very hot on clay. Karen Kachinov, who made it pretty far at this previous uh, French Open, Denis Shapovalov, as well as uh, FAA, uh, Felix Ajayali Yassim, the Canadian boys, uh, and also Rayonich is playing as well. So they got three Canadians in that draw. And then, of course, our boy, Gael Monfils. So, you know, we aren't going to cover the draw or anything for that tournament, but a lot of really good named players out there. So, you know, if you do have the time, go on ahead and get out there and, and watch some of the matches. It should be a good tournament this week. And uh, the one in the Netherlands is uh, pretty good as well. You got Sissipas as the top seed, uh, Bonacurich as the second seed, and you also have folks like our boy Tiafo that's up in there, and Nick Kyrgios's favorite backhand, Mr. Fernando Verdasco. is in the draw. <laughs> <laughs> so we can see if someone's gonna pick up on that backhand. So that's sort of the tournaments this week. What are your What are your thoughts on those, Bryce? Well, you know. For me, this is like one of those kind of weeks where I, I'm not as clued in as to what's going on. Because really, most of the people that are playing this week are people that either lost early in the French Open, or they're really chasing ranking points, or they're one of these type of players that just plays a lot. Um, so there are a couple of big names, but I'm, I'm, I don't know that any of these results from this week are going to be huge indicators for me. Um, I'm really more interested in the tournaments that are coming up next week. And those right. tournaments, we're going to really start seeing some of the huge names. And so, Isaac, I want to get your thoughts on a couple of these tournaments for next week. There are two 500-level tournaments on the men's side, and there's one premier tournament on the women's side. So we'll okay. start with the women. The women will be in Birmingham next week. And okay. just listen to some of the entrants into the tournament. We have number one player in the world with Naomi Osaka. We have the nice. defending champion with Petra Kvitova. Plus you have Fetalina, Ash Barty. Hmm. Um, and then I'm going to drop all the way down to a very special wild card player who has entered the tournament. Okay. And that would be the queen. Miss Venus Williams. No. Wait, 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 wait a minute. Shut your mouth. Wait a minute. Venus Williams? <laughs> yes, Venus Williams. Venus, <laughs> Venus Ebony Star Williams? Is Ebony that what you're talking about? That's what I'm talking about. Shut your mouth. Boy, you better <laughs> shut your mouth. You sit here lying to me. Because why am I saying this? Because Venus don't never play no warm-up tournament. So I, you lying. You sitting up here lying. Don't you get me excited like this, Bryce. Don't you do it. Don't you do it. <laughs> She's going to be there. Are you serious? And I haven't read mm. any articles yet as to why there's the change of heart uh, this year. Uh, maybe just because why. she hasn't played as much this year and she feels like maybe she needs a few more matches under her belt. Um, 
I, I still am concerned with that forearm of hers. I don't know if just additional play is not going to do additional damage or what, but yeah, she is scheduled to be in there next week. Listen, so first of all, I it is hard for me to sit here and contain my excitement right now. Um, <laughs> because I tell you what, all I'd say over the last 10 years, I have been praying for one and or both of the Williams sisters to play a warm-up tournament before Wimbledon because I really feel like it would do them such a good good deal as far as just getting their footing, getting their stroke production right, and not to say that they didn't go off and maybe, you know, do some of this stuff, you know, at another location, but I just feel like they need to compete before getting to Wimbledon, and they never did that, and especially is important for Venus because again Serena's strokes are very tight you know it's it's she's always good to go for the most part but Venus it takes it takes time for her to really get into her rhythm and to really be able to do her thing I honestly believe Bryce that this is going to just this is going to provide such benefit for her going into Wimbledon I I am a happy man right now oh my goodness Ooh, I can't sit <laughs> And, you know, I have another opinion, too. I wonder how much of this yeah. has to do with her also trying to get her ranking up. Uh, because we know that... So, once again, this is maybe a little background for our listeners. Typically in a tournament, what happens is they seed players based upon how they're ranked. Wimbledon is one of the exceptions where, because there's so few grass tournaments in the year and the style of play is different on, on grass and st- versus any other surface, what they will do is sometimes they will look at a player's previous results on the grass and say, well, by their rankings, they would actually be ranked number 12, but since we're talking about their performance on grass, we really see them more at about 7 or 8. They will make those type of adjustments for Wimbledon. So I'm wondering if Venus is thinking, if I can get my ranking up just a little bit, me having won this title five times before in the past, they will make sure that I, at a minimum, have at least a low seating. Do you think right. that could be one of the things that's going on here? I absolutely think so, Bryce, because like I said, she wants to make sure that not only her game is tight, but that folks recognize that her game is tight and that she's ready to go. Because I think that, like you said, that will allow them to take her her results into consideration and give her a higher seed. My, my hope is that Venus definitely gets seeded because boy, oh boy, do I not want to see some type of crazy first round matchup between Serena and Venus. I, I, I will I will I will cry. <laughs> right. Exactly. And I am not one to be trying to cry. So no, we can't even have that. that. No, no. So Venus, good on you, baby. Good on you. Right. Mm. Because it was unfortunate what happened to her at the French. I mean being unseated and having to face Svetlina in the first round, that just was not a good situation to be in. No, not at all. Not at all. But I will say this. There are going to be a whole bunch of folks scared of her <laughs> get her first round in Wimbledon. I tell you that. Yes, sir. Exactly. So so let's jump to the two men's tournaments. And, and we'll start with, um, I guess, kind of the lesser of the two. And the first one is called Queen's Club. Um, and yes. we have some pretty good people in this tournament. Um the defending champion is returning, who is Marin Cilic. 
But also with Chilich, you have Kevin Anderson is returning. Nice. Juan Martin Del Potro. We have nice. CC Pass, Medvedev, Rionic, Shapovalov, Hometown Boy, Hal Edmund. Um, so there's some, and not to forget, you have Felix Ajer Aliassim, Tiafo, Stan Vavrinka, Nick Kyrgios, Verdasco, Dimitrov. There are some people in this tournament. That, boy, that sounded like a Grand Slam lineup right there. I mean, come on now. Did, did wow. It? That, I'm trying to tell you. That that is great. That is great to that to know that all of those guys are going to be playing. It should make for some entertaining tennis tennis from the beginning. I mean, I because I because not all of them, of course, can get seeds. So I would imagine there are going to be some first round matchups that are going to knock our socks off. Oh my goodness! Oh yeah, there are going to be some popcorn matches in there for sure. For sure. Oh, and isn't this the tournament where Andy Murray may come back and play doubles? Didn't we hear something about him coming back and playing uh, some doubles? You're, to just you're absolutely correct. He will. He is entered in the doubles. I'm not sure who he's playing with, uh, but it's just going to be good to see him out there on the grass once again. Absolutely, and just for him to be back with the guys, I'm pretty sure they'll welcome him in with you know with 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 you know happy smiles and open arms and all that fun stuff. So. I'm 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 happy that Andy is at least able to play tennis again. So that that's that's just really great to hear. I'm I'm a, I, I do like Andy Roddick. I mean, excuse me, I did not say Andy Roddick. Andy Murray, excuse me. I was about to get off of this podcast right now, talking about some Andy Roddick. Ain't nobody talking about Andy Roddick up in here. We don't care if I know Andy Roddick. Don't be mean. I liked Andy Roddick too, but just not as much as Andy Murray. I just I just. I just got off of Madison Keys. Don't make me get on Andy Roddick right now. <laughs> you know you're a fool. <laughs> so, anyway, um, so hearing those names, do you have, without even knowing what the draw is going to look like, do you have any predictions for who might be um, some potential winners there? Oh, gosh. Uh, <laughs> I mean, with all of the names that you mentioned, I have no clue. I mean, it, 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 it's because I, you know, as far as how they play on grass and, you know, just coming off of clay, there's so many factors that will go into those initial matchups. So, no, yeah, I don't have any any predictions whatsoever, except that that's going to be a bomb tournament and and folks need to get their popcorn popped and be ready because that's going to be some good stuff right there. I mean, that's just me, though. Do you have any thoughts as far as who you see as being kind of like the favorites or, or going in? You know what? And I'm going to just go out on the ledge here, but I really think Sisi Pass is the one to look at in this tournament. And the reason being is he is probably the best combination of everything in that tournament right now. When you're talking about somebody who's kind of on top of their game right now, if you talk about somebody whose game fits very well with grass, if you talk about somebody whose mental state has been strengthened really by the loss that he took from Stan Vavrinka. I'm telling you what, I became a bigger fan of him with that loss because of the way he took it. You could just tell that that loss to Stan Vavrinka at the French Open just further motivated this guy to take his game to a higher level. So, like I said, although we don't know what the draws are going to look like and we don't know who's matched up with 
food. He's my fave going into it. Gotcha. I tell you what, he just needs to stay away from FAA. <laughs> right. Because <laughs> FAA used to spank up on him in the juniors, and lest we forget, he got spanked up on in uh, Indian Wells earlier this year, too. So, yeah, stay away from FAA, and CC Plows might be all right. <laughs> hey, maybe we'll get lucky and they'll be on opposite ends of the draw, and we'll have that as a final, right? Hey, I would not mind that at all. Let me tell you, because I like those two guys. I like them. So let's move over to the other men's tournament going on next week, and that's the one that's in Halle, Germany. And the reason why I'm personally excited about this tournament is because it is the one that the king is entered in. And if you yes, happen to forget, when I refer to the king, I'm referring to Mr. Roger Federer. Uh, who has won this tournament a gazillion times, but we want to <laughs> remind everyone he lost in the finals last year to Borna Korch. So the people joining him at this tournament this year are Alexander Zverev, Dominique Team, Kay Nishikori, Karen Hatchinoff, Borna Korch, Gael Monfils, and <laughs> yeah. And then just a bunch yes. of other really good guys that are going to be there. And there is a wild card entry that I'm personally very excited about, and that would be Mr. Joe Willifrey Sanga. If you're talking about somebody who is coming back up, coming back from injury, whose game is excellent on grass, uh, as a wild card, it's going to be very interesting to see where he's placed in the draw. Absolutely agree. I mean, Sanga loves the grass. He's had great results on that surface. So, yeah, he's he's going to scare a lot of people in that draw, let me tell you. <laughs> Including and Roger Federer. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And, and you know what? There's actually one more person who I think's game is kind of rounding out a bit um, who is dangerous, and that is Benoit Pair. And right. he just has one of those quirky games that if everything's kind of coming together for him, he's one of the most dangerous people on tour. Agree with you. Because he's got a huge serve, great backhand. His backhand is phenomenal. He's got great touch at the net. He can play the net and plays it extremely well. His only vulnerability is his forehand. And it really exposes itself on grass because, unfortunately, the ball will not bounce as high, so he's not going to be able to get that kind of, you know, loopy topspin that he typically gets on that shot. So a mm -hmm. smart player, of course, will attack that forehand. But I tell you what, it's going to be hard when you have to face those other three weapons because those are weapons. That serve, that yes. backhand, and his net skills, those are weapons. And, and they are not to be underestimated. I like his game. Not at all. <laughs> not at all. You're right. Look, I am very excited about the tennis next week. I'm 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 going to be t tuned in to a lot of these matches. Do you have any kind of prediction for this tournament? <laughs> <laughs> oh, that, that that's going to be a struggle. Oh, <laughs> no, it's not. 
Um, it's all about Roger Federer. I expect him to get through all of those names that you mentioned and uh, raise another title. Because, I mean, he is he is getting himself really, really dialed in for the grass. And again, like we talked about, the fact that he played on clay, his game is tight right now. It feels really good. He lost to who he should have lost to at the French Open. Didn't didn't have any major upsets. So mentally, he's in a good frame of mind. Rod Federer's going to clean clock at that tournament. Guaranteed. What about you, man? I totally agree. I think the clay season only strengthened his game and only motivated him even more for the grass court season. And look, when Roger's game is on, he is the best grass court player on the planet. Um, There have been a lot of other players that have come along and have shown that they can play very well on grass. And if Federer is not on his A game, they can even sneak some victories from him. But if he's rolling in here very confident, he's healthy, his game is looking strong, he's going to be a tough person for people to take out. That's right. That's right. I just don't see any of the names that you mentioned doing that. Right. So I want to do something here. So this being kind of our first episode that is following more of a a regular format for us, one of the segments that we're looking at having uh, to end each show with is a hot topic. What's something out there that people are talking about in the professional tennis community that we want to weigh in on? And I think with the with Rafael Nadal winning his twelfth major title at the French, eighteen major titles overall, Roger with twenty major titles overall, Djokovic at what is he at fourteen, fifteen? Fifteen. He's at fifteen. At, at, he's ahead of he's ahead of Pete. <laughs> no, that's right. How could I forget that? I'm gonna talk about that in a minute. Um, you know, with him being at fifteen there's a lot of talk about, for a long time, it was just Rogers the Goat, Rogers the Goat, Rogers the Goat. And there are actually some very compelling arguments as to why someone might consider Rafael Nadal potentially the Goat, or he may end up being the Goat, or even Djokovic eventually being the Goat. Uh, you know, Isaac, what's, what's your going in position on this? I... I mean, I think you said it best, Bryce. It's it's a discussion that is going to continue to evolve because as we have three active players that are really all in contention of, of, of being called the GOAT, um, there's just a lot of things that, that will come into play. And um, I don't know. I Honestly, at the end of the day, I really feel like it's going to be based on a lot of how people feel about each of the games and the game styles of each of the players. Because in my opinion, they're all a bit different. I mean, Roger's got the gracefulness and he's, you know, sort of the ballet dancer of tennis and, you know, has every shot in the book. It's just incredible. You've got Nadal that's just, just, just a baller. I mean, he is just like in boxing. He just comes out swinging and he, he hustles and, you know, everything that he gets, he earns because he just puts it all out there and basically takes it. He doesn't give up anything. And then you've got your Djokovic, who is just, you know, he's elastic man. He just gets gets to everything and can do a lot of, you know, things when he gets to the ball. And his return of serve is just so incredible. So it's a lot of elements. And I think it's really 
kind of what you appreciate that's going to really determine and or dictate who the quote unquote goat is. But statistically, man, it's going to be a tough race because, yeah, Rogers got 20 and he's always sort of had that three slash four lead, if you will, on Nadal. But hey, Nadal has closed the gap. He won this French Open. He's now within two. And again, Djokovic having won, you know, the last three prior to the French was like, hey, I'm coming after Roger. I'm going, I plan on having the, the, uh, the most grand slams once all is said and done. So, I mean, uh, there's just so much to really think about and consider, and it's evolving. I think right now, it, it's in my head, and it's because I'm a Fed fan, I put Roger as GOAT because of the fact that he's got the stats. He's got, you know, the, well, and I say you got the stats, but then a lot of people will argue with me because you can say that, hey, well, he hasn't, he doesn't have a winning record against Nadal. He doesn't have a winning record against Djokovic. So I'm saying a lot, and I want, I want you to be able to weigh in, especially since you introduced this. Sorry, bro. So I'm going to pull back. I'm going to let you comment because I would also like to hear some of your thoughts on this. And, 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 and let's just have some more dialogue on it because it's a great topic. Yeah, and I don't disagree with anything that you've said uh, thus far. You know, I think historically people have always looked at the greatest of all time as being strictly who had the most singles major titles, right? Who had the most right. U.S. Open, Wimbledon, French, and Australian Open singles wins. And I can't wait for us to have this conversation on the women's side because this is something I was talking about in the intro episode. And I know I'm kind of going out of the men's side, but that's where I get into this whole thing between Martina Navratilova and, and Serena Williams. I think, you know, we're all looking at Serena Williams as being the greatest of all time, strictly on singles results. Because when you start looking at statistics beyond just singles, then it's not so clear that it's Serena right. anymore. Right. Uh, and so, I want to use that same analogy for the men. So right now we're saying, you know, Rogers in the driver's seat because he's at 20 and then Nadal's next that he's at 18 and then, you know, Djokovic at 15. But let me tell you something else that Roger is doing that's going to kind of maybe adjust the way people think about this. Mm -hmm. When you start thinking about overall impact on the game. Right. Even if you have somebody like a Nadal or a Djokovic, let's say that they eclipse his singles uh, wins by one or two, right? Something that Roger has done, and, and you know what? It may have even been by design, Norm Roger. He has started doing things that differentiate him from everybody else. And, what, and I'm going to name just two things that he's done that even if he doesn't have more major titles than Djokovic or Nadal, that it still may keep him as the goat in people's eyes. One of the okay. thing, one of the things is that you say what you want about all the players in terms of their on-court achievements. I don't think there has been a greater ambassador for the sport on the men's side in the history of the game than Roger Federer. He is so, and we know Rafa has a lot of fans and Djokovic has a lot of fans. 
Nadal is the. I mean, Roger is the only way that I can describe it is one year I was at the Masters uh, golf tournament in Augusta, Georgia, and I was watching Tiger Woods, and you would watch all the other players kind of coming up, up over a hill, and they would have their their following and their crowd behind them. And I, re- I can't remember what hole I was on at Augusta National, but Tiger came over the hill and the swarm of people that were behind him, it was like Moses part in the Red Sea and just, <laughs> it, it, it was a sight to behold. It was unlike anything else any other player had. That's the way I view Roger in terms of how he is beloved in tennis. You, Roger may not be your favorite, but who does not respect Roger Federer? Uh, so I think he has differentiated himself from a lot of the other players in terms of the way he carries himself and the way that he kind of has become known as the spokesman of tennis, uh, at least on the, on the men's side. And then something else that he has done, uh, if you haven't been keeping track, is this whole thing that he has built with the Labor Cup right? This was a completely new thing that he brought out, uh, a, a, a team competition challenge of the top players in the in the world that was loosely based upon the structure of, of a Ryder Cup in golf, where it's, you know, either Europe versus the United States or Europe versus the rest of the world as it relates to tennis. It was announced recently that the ATP has picked up that cup as part of the men's tour, which is huge because now this is a footprint that Roger has on the actual tour uh, that his name is going to be behind even once he hangs up his Nikes and has stopped playing. So when I look at the on-court performance and I look at some of these other things that are beyond the game, that Roger has done and is doing that kind of separates himself from the others, that those things may come into play when people are kind of making their decision on who's the GOAT uh, when this is all said and done. I cannot disagree with you at all. All points, very valid. Absolutely agree, Bryce. Absolutely agree. Great information. So, um, and, you know, you have some people who think, you know, obviously you and I are a little more on the, the Federer train, right? But some people look at Nadal, right, and say the sheer dominance he has had on clay we haven't seen on on any surface. Uh, he's done something. He's done several things that Roger has, has never done. He has a winning record, like you said, over Roger. Uh, And so those are things that make you say, well, maybe he should get a nod. Uh, What are some of the things that you think Djokovic has done that that gives him consideration for being the GOAT? Well, I think the one thing that, that, that we were just talking about as far as Roger having a losing record against Nadal like I said, Djokovic has a winning record against both Nadal and Federer. So that is definitely something that you have to you have to hold into consideration. And that one stretch that he went on, and mind you, he didn't win this French Open 
but he was going after his second what we would call no lay slam where he held mm-hmm. or would hold all four grand slams neither roger nor rafa have accomplished that feat and he was actually about to do it a second time um had it not been for dominic team and well of so course the final of course so so i mean that in itself is a big argument on his side to say hey he's also done things that both roger and rafa are just simply they just simply have not done and won't be able to do in my opinion in their career so i mean there's just so many great arguments that you can make i mean djokovic is like i said he he's got his fan base as well and and again he he to me is nowhere near being done as it relates to get, gaining grand slams i mean we always kind of question uh, rafa outside of of course the french open and even this year we kind of question him but you know um, we don't know if he really is going to be as dominant across the other Grand Slams. And the same with Roger. I mean, we give him a shot on hard courts because he won the Australian, you know, twice, uh, two times in a row and, and won Wimbledon. Um, um, but with Djokovic, he to me is still a very relevant threat against these really, really young guys. So his Grand Slam tally is not done at all. He is not going to stay at 15. So, I mean, it lends itself um, just from those facts to have him in that in that discussion going forward as to being the greatest of all time. But like you said, it depends on what you're rating it or basing it on. Right. And, and you know, with all of these guys, we know that these next couple of years are going to be critical in terms of cementing, yep. you know, where they land. I Kind of no matter what you think and who you support, I think we can all agree that in terms of men's tennis, this is the golden age of tennis. One of the things that I absolutely love, because I was not a big Pete Sampras fan, uh, I was in the Andre Agassi camp, but Pete, when he won that last U.S. Open, and I have to give him credit, he had the best mic drop that I've seen. He, (laughs) He was sorry going into that tournament. I don't even know if he was seeded or not, or if he had a low seed. He won that tournament. He knew he was not going to pull off that magic probably ever again, and he retired when he won that tournament. I give him credit for that. But the thing that annoyed me was was the media because the media acted like, oh, my goodness, he's won 14. This is just probably never going to be broken. And granted, up until that point, you know, people weren't getting past 12 or 13. So, yeah, 14 seemed like that might be something that would not be broken. But I love the fact that we had Federer, Nadal, hmm. and Djokovic all come in and say, 14? <laughs> you ain't done nothing. Exactly. You ain't you done nothing. Exactly. <laughs> you what? Know? What? Come on. And, and I mean, exactly. but in, in, in truth, Bryce, they really shouldn't have even had that 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 measure there in the first place because had they looked on the women's side you had martina and chrissy both with 18 you had steffi that left left at 21 i mean so it's not like they didn't have other you know champions that were you know far exceeded 14 grand slams so i don't know why that seemed to be a magical number to them i mean again well you had a whole bunch of women that were doing it well i will tell you this I think in terms of on the women's tour, for so long it was thought that there was always a, 
couple of women that dominated, and then there was the rest of the tour. I think the men's tour was always considered the, it was considered to be more parody on the men's tour, so it was tougher to win the numbers. I mean, on the women's side, you would see Martin Court, she dominate for a period, and then Chris Everett would dominate for a period, and then Martin. You always had this one or these two women that were dominating for a period, and you didn't really see that as much on the men's side. So I think they thought it was a much more difficult task to hit those numbers on the men's side than on the women. Gotcha. And you would know that because, like I said, you were involved with tennis well before me. So, And I appreciate you pointing that out, not only to myself, but to the listeners, because that's important. That's important to know that that's sort of how it was thought about, you know, in the early 90s, 80s, if you will, because I joined up, you know, late 90s, right going into 2000. And, and that's that's really when I kind of saw all of this kind of come to, to fruition as far as, you know, these guys coming out the woodworks and, and just building on their Grand Slam tally. So so thank you. That great points. Well, and, and you know what? And I think it's it's the beautiful part about the women's game now that it's not like that anymore. That it, we do have Barty versus Vondrasova, <laughs> you know, in the finals of, <laughs> exactly. of a Grand Slam. So I do think that the women's tour has evolved from there, and that's a really good thing for all of us. So Yes, it is. Yes, it is. Good conversation, Isaac. Good one. I think so. I think so. Good stuff, Bryce. I like our first hot topic. That was a good one. <laughs> yeah, yeah I, <laughs> I, I have a couple of ideas for our next one. I haven't talked to you about that off off show. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. I like that. Well, good. Well, we'll go ahead and conclude that hot topic. And like I said, folks, we so thank you for listening to us. And we hope that you continue to gain some perspective about the game that we love, uh, you know, tennis. And let's not forget, we are Brothers on Tennis. So we want you to come and check us out. We are active on all different types of media. We've got Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. We got even uh, SoundCloud and YouTube. <laughs> you can catch us anywhere. And we just want to hear from you. We want your support. But most importantly, we want you to be engaged. And we really, really want you to just enjoy this wonderful sport of tennis that we that we get the opportunity to see and experience so um with that bryce any other closing closing points from you uh nothing for me this week uh just enjoy the good tennis that's going to be out there next week and uh we will be back here to talk to you about it that's right yes we will all right folks so once again thanks for listening this is your boy isaac and this is your boy bryce and we are Brothers on Tennis. Once again, info at Brothers on Tennis. Don't forget Brothers, B-R-U-T-H-A-S, Brothers on Tennis. Thanks, everyone. We appreciate you listening, and we will catch you next week.